Good morning. Friends, it is a joy to be with you in worship on this day. I tell our youth this every hour at 9.30, but there is just no way I would rather start my week than in community in this space with you all. So I'm glad you're here. If this is your first time with us or your hundredth time with us, or if you are joining us by means of the internet or the radio, then I want to give you a special word of welcome. We're glad to have you in our midst. As we prepare for worship, I want to invite you all to find the friendship pads and to pass those down the pews, sign your name, and then when they get to the end of the row, pass them back so that you might learn the names of those around you. As you do that, I also invite you to take note of the prayer and connect cards, which are there for your use. We would love to invite you to take advantage of those. As we um, take a look at the bulletin before we begin worship, I want to highlight a few announcements. One um, very special announcement, Session has approved a new part-time position for our staff with Caroline Brasscamp. Caroline is going to be joining us as a parish associate. She works closely right now, leading Sunday schools, working with families and children and parents, and we are delighted to have her on board. So I hope you'll check out your bulletin and welcome her into this new position as we grow in faith together. I also want to point out the racial justice and equity pilgrimage in your bulletin. This February, members of our congregation will again be joining Joy Tabernacle AME to go um, on a racial justice pilgrimage through multiple cities in the Southeast, learning about our history and how we as people of faith are called to move forward in the fight against racism. So if that is something you're interested in, I have heard nothing but powerful things, and I hope you will consider that opportunity. Friends, today we are kicking off a new sermon series. You might have noticed the title is, Is It Just Me? We're going to be asking some of those hard questions that we sometimes wonder, am I the only one thinking about this? And today we're wrestling with work. So friends, I invite you to take a deep breath and to settle into this space, for God is surely here. So let us worship holy God. Oh, great power. 
join with me in our responsive call to worship. Friends, we know what God desires of us, that we do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. We gather this morning to remind each other about that, to remember that now is always the right time to do these things. With thanks in our hearts, let us worship God. Let us worship God together. 
As we worship together, we have the opportunity to admit to ourselves, to one another, and to God that we do not always live as we are called. But trusting that God meets us on the journey, let us be honest with God and with one another as we pray together the prayer of confession. Let us pray. Each morning we rise, convinced that we know what we are supposed to do, of who we are supposed to be, that we know sometimes convince ourselves that we are all we need, that we know all we need to know, that we have done everything we could and can. We give up on new beginnings and unknown pathways because we are afraid, because we are comfortable, because we don't want to risk all that we Forgive us for believing that we don't need you, O oh God. Forgive us for not listening or hearing. Forgive us for the times when we just want to do what we know and not answer your call to new pastures. Family of God, God is not done with us, not by a long shot. 
You are more beloved now than you can ever know, and God is working in you and in the world beyond our wildest imaginings. So hear and believe the good news of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. As God's forgiven and reconciled people, I offer you the opportunity to turn and greet one another with a sign of Christ's peace. So the peace of Christ be with you. Please greet with Christ's peace. Let us pray. God of today and God of tomorrow, we come to worship you because we long to know you more clearly. So as we gather to hear your word, remove anything and everything that keeps us from you. Dust off the corners of our hearts, clear away the cobwebs from our ears, still the to-do lists in our minds. Center us, draw us forward, breathe life into this ancient text, breathe life into us. Amen. So last spring, I found myself having a number of conversations, some of them here at the church, others out in the parking lot, even more conversations at the grocery store with many of you. And we were having conversations about your life. You wanted to share with me uh, some of what you're struggling with. It was uh, about a death in the family or, you know, it's been six months since Bob died and I still don't feel like I'm fully myself. Others of you uh, would share with me that you were struggling at work or there was a relationship that had come to an end or you were really hoping this relationship would be the next one. But there was something that you all had in common. At the end of almost all of those conversations, people would look at me and they would say, oh, I'm so sorry to bother you with this. I'm sure I'm the only one dealing with any of it. And there was like a four-week period that that, that comment wouldn't escape sort of my zone. And I thought, you know what, we need to do a sermon series on eight things that we all are wrestling with but are not talking to one another about. And I thought, what, if we were gonna put together a series, we should do a series on eight things, not a hundred. We could do a hundred week sermon series, but I don't think I'd have a job anymore. (laughs) 
But my goal for this series is three-part. The first is that we begin to name some of the things that we are all walking around with. It's good to bring uh, light into darkness. It's good for us to name some of the things that we're not talking about um, at work, some of the things we're not talking about at uh, dinner parties. The second goal for this series is that we will begin to get a sense of time. It's one thing for us to struggle in a season of our life. It's another thing to have some perspective and wisdom that time can provide. So my hope is that we'll talk about some of the things that we're all carrying, but with the sense of an expanded understanding of time. And the third is this. My goal is that by naming and claiming some of the things that we're all walking around with that will turn to our faith, will turn to the scriptures, will turn to the spiritual tradition so that we can see that we aren't the only ones. We're not the only ones who've ever wrestled with things. That there are people right here in the scriptures that have wrestled just like us and that there is wisdom to be learned, that there's a way forward to be had that maybe we couldn't arrive at on our own. And so as we were putting the series together, I thought, oh, great, what is everyone going to want to talk about right after a really long vacation? Work. And I thought, maybe not, but maybe now's the time to talk about work. Right after a vacation, right when we begin the new year, UT Southwestern uh, put out a study, and it's now a website. It's an interactive map. If you live in the neighborhood of the church, the 75230 uh, zip code, you are afforded, on average, 80 years of life. That means that you are afforded 700,000 hours on this earth. Think about that for a second. You're afforded 700,000 hours. And some of you are like doing the calculation. You're like, wait, if I was afforded 80 years, 700,000 hours, where, how many hours do I have left? Some of you are thinking, I'm just getting started on my hours. But think about this. If you work uh, 40 hours a week, eight hours a day, you work, uh, you know, 40 years. And if you sleep on average eight hours a night, between your work and your sleep, you will spend nearly half of your life working and sleeping. Which means two things. One, we need to talk about all having a really good mattress, okay? <laughs> we do a lot of sleep. The second is, we need to talk about our work. And as Americans, uh, we spend a lot of time at work. Right? Do you know that a third of Americans today work more than 45 hours in a week? Did you know, since 1979, as Americans, we are working on average 8% more. And when we're not working, we are uh, talking about work, or we're thinking about work, or we're thinking about the job we wish we had. Because did you know, as Americans, on average, we will change jobs, on average now, 12 times in our career. We're a people who work. We're a people who like to talk about work. We're a people who like to plan on the next job that we have. And it could be really easy, can it not? To get caught up in the title that we have. Partner. Senior vice president. Consultant. Senior pastor. 
And it can be really easy, right, to see the whole world through the title, through the work that you do every single day. Teacher, department chair, head physician. It can be really easy when we get caught up in the titles that we have because titles indicate something, do they not? They indicate uh, how much education we have. Titles uh, indicate how much money we make. Uh, They indicate who... uh, we're in relationship with. It indicates where we live and where we are in the social hierarchy. Oh, there's a lot bound up in our work. And it can be tempting to think that our title and what we do is what defines us. And yet, did you know, and I've looked really hard this week, there's not one instant in the Bible, not one, where someone is wrestling, they're trying to discern whether or not to go to law school or to med school, and so they go up to the top of the mountain and they say, oh Lord, these paths are before me, point me down the right path. There's not one time in the Bible where someone is having that dark night of the soul question of, I've been in accounting my whole life, but it's just not bringing life to me. What should I do now, God? There's none of that in the Bible. But there are a lot of stories in the Bible, my friends, about people like us seeking to do the best we can, trying to work hard and raise a family, and people who want to be faithful. They want uh, God's love and mercy and forgiveness to be reflected in and through their lives. Which makes me wonder if God is not all that interested in what we do, What if God is not that interested in what we do? But what if God is far more interested in how we go about whatever we do? This can be confusing for the church. Because the church has talked about the priesthood of all believers, right? Started with John Calvin and the Reformation. Let's be clear, the Reformation was a time period in which uh, folks came together and said, you don't need a priest to mediate your relationship with the, defi- with the divine, right? If you don't need a priest to make sure that you're in relationship with God, then is there such a thing as only one divine job, priest? John Calvin said no. If you don't need a priest to mediate your relationship with the divine, that means that all people are capable of ministry, John Calvin would say everyone in the sanctuary this morning would be right over there on the staff wall in the atrium. We would all be ministers because John Calvin says that God could work through all of us, no matter what our profession, and bring about ministry and God's purposes in the world. Right? And then the church... The church tells us that, and we think, great, I just need to find that one job. What is the one thing that I am made of? Uh, To quote Aristotle or Frederick Buechner, what is my greatest hunger and the world's greatest need, and where do they collide? That's when I'll find meaning and purpose in my life. Let me say, if you have found the one thing that you are deepest your deepest hunger and the world's greatest passion, and you get paid to do that, you are in a place of great privilege in this world. I say that as one of those people. 
But the reality is a lot of people work just to put food on the table. A lot of people work just to make sure their kids have a better future than they had. A lot of people work just so that they can go on vacation and spend more time with their family. So what if work, my dear friends, what if God is not as interested in what we do, but God is much more interested in how we do it? How do we live our lives? How do we reflect the grace, mercy, love of Jesus Christ into the world? And I've been wrestling with a text that I am so excited for us to study together. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. If you um, will find a pew Bible, I want to um, read the text, but I also want to teach and teach along the way. We're going to turn to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And I think that we're going to see that God is not as interested in the title that we have, but God is much more interested in how we go about our work. We're going to pick up at the 18th verse. So, as he, the text says, that's Jesus, as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, uh, when you see Sea of Galilee, think just really big lake, okay? Big lake. Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. The first thing we learn about Peter and Andrew is the title and what they hold in the world. They're fishermen. Got it? We're all clear on that. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And listen for the shift. As Jesus went from there, he saw two other brothers. James the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father, Zebedee. They were mending their nets, and uh, Jesus called them. They immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you hear the, the shift there? Jesus calls the first two disciples, and we learn immediately what it is they do in the world. They are fishermen. And let's be really clear. In the ancient Mediterranean, there was no career office, okay? You didn't go to the temple and sign up for the seven steps to find your perfect calling. No, if your father was a fisherman, guess what? You were going to be a fisherman. If your father was a tax collector, you were going to be a tax collector. If your mother worked outside the home, you were going to do whatever she did. If your father was the king, you were the prince. And if you were the queen, guess what? You were the princess. We talk about that a lot in our house right now. <laughs> Fishermen, that's what you are. It defines your whole life. But when we get to James and John, we don't hear that they're fishermen at all. We don't hear their title. We actually hear that they're brothers, that they have a fa familial relationship, and we Hear that they also have a father, Zebedee. It seems that title may not be as important as how people go about their work because James and John are called by Jesus and they drop their nets and they follow Jesus. James and John, two boys that have been at their father's right hand since the day they were born, since the earliest stages that they could, being in that boat, learning the craft, learning the family business, 
And when Jesus calls them, they drop all of that and follow him. I got to tell you, I'm interested. Why doesn't the text say, and Zebedee followed after them, screaming, what are you doing? That's the first question I have of this text. How does Zebedee feel about all this? The second question that I have of this text, a little deeper than that. If you're a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent in this room, this is my question of that text. Where did James and John Where did James and John learn that when they are encountered with meaning and purpose and love and light, that they should drop whatever's in their hands and follow that? Where did James and John learn that when they are in, encountered with meaning and purpose in their life, that even if they're holding on to the family business, even though they have been trained for this and they've been brought up in this, that when they're encountered with a life like that, they're supposed to drop it and go. Where do they learn that? The text doesn't tell us. But I'm going to make the assumption that James and John learned that from their father, Zebedee. And I think they learned it from their mother, too. And I don't think it was a one-time thing. I don't think they had to sit down and let's talk about your life's greatest purpose talk. No, I think James and John, for over the course of their entire life, watched their father and their mother live with meaning and purpose and with love and light, so that when they recognize that in their own life, of course they dropped it all and they followed. Oh, I think God is far more interested in how we go about living our lives than God is interested in what we may do. What would it look like if you lived out of a, this identity? This identity as a person of God is this per, out of this identity as a child of God. How would that change your life? How would that change your world? If you lived out of that identity rather than the title on the door, how would that change your interactions in the office? How would it change your interactions in the classroom? How might that change your interactions with your patients? How would it change the way you do email? Am I getting close enough now? How would it change the way that you interact with the clerk at the grocery store? How would it change the way that you see your family? How would it change the way that you live in love with your partner or your spouse? Well, I think it changed everything. What if the invitation is for us to live out of that identity? How do we do that? Uh, there was a rabbi in, in Krakow. Uh, the rabbi had been out late one night, and he had uh, just had dinner and drinks with friends late into the night. And he was walking back. It was the middle of the night, pitch black, dark. And uh, he got to a fork in the road. If he took the fork to the right, that path would lead him on the path home. But if he took the fork to the left, uh, that path would lead him right past 
a Roman military base, and there would be a, a big wall there and guards there. And the rabbi from Krakow had been out really late with friends, and he wasn't really paying attention. And so he took the path to the left, and sure enough, he ended up right at this Roman military base, and there was a guard standing up in one of the watchtowers. The guard saw the rabbi from Krakow and shouted down to them, and he said, Hey, who are you? And what are you doing here? And the rabbi froze. He looked up at the guard. And the guard shouted down again, Who are you? And what are you doing here? The rabbi looked up at the guard and he said, Excuse me, sir, uh, how much do they pay you to stand in that guard tower? And the Roman guard said, What do you mean, how much do they pay me? The rabbi from Krakow said, How much do they pay you to stand in that tower at night and to yell down at people like me? Roman guard said, well, they pay me 100 denarii a week. The rabbi from Krakow says, hey, you know what? I'll double it. And the guard said, what do you mean you'll double it? The rabbi said, um, I'll pay you 200 denarii a week if you will show up at my house every morning and every evening and ask me those two questions. Rabbi, who are you? And what are you doing Friends, who are you? No, no, no. Not what do you do. Did you hear me? Who are you? And what are you doing here with your 700,000 hours? What would change about your life if you started every single morning with those two questions? Cup of coffee, who am I and what am I doing here? What if you wrote it on a post-it note, stuck it right there on the computer screen of your, uh, at your desk, and every day after lunch you came to your office and you started your afternoon with, who am I and what am I doing here? And what if at the end of every day, you get done having dinner with your friends or you put the kids down or you called and checked in on your family right before your head hit the pillow you said who am I and what am I doing here oh I think if we begin to ask ourselves those questions we will inevitably begin to live out of a different identity and how we live will influence how we work. I'm going to do that again. How we live will influence how we work, not vice versa. Can you imagine if we started living out of that identity? How might that change everything for us? Well, there's a um, guy, bus driver in New York City, drives the bus in Manhattan every single day, and he's gotten really clear about which identity he lives out of. He picks up people in Manhattan all day long in those really fancy office buildings, and he notice that, notices that people get on his bus, they seem stressed out, they seem on edge. Some of them seem really angry, some of them seem really, really tired. And this bus driver began to notice all of these people and all that they're carrying, and so he instituted a new ritual. Every afternoon, every evening, on the last line of the day, 
He pulls into his last stop and he picks up all these people who have so much to carry from from their days. And the bus driver gets on the intercom in the bus and he says, I know y'all been working hard. I know that you've had some uh, stressful days. It looks like some of you are really anxious. Some of you look like you could be really tired. A lot of you may be angry about something. I want to I make you a deal. I want, um, if you're so inclined, will you name everything that you're carrying out loud? You don't have to say it so I can hear, but just name it out loud and I'll make you a deal. If you name it, then I'll take whatever you're carrying and I'll take it across the bridge to Long Island and I'll leave it there for the night so that you don't have to take everything that you're carrying back to those people that you love. Don't you take all that to them. It'll stand in your way of loving them. So why don't you let me do that for you? That is a bus driver who is clear on their identity. That is a bus driver who is clear on how they feel called to go about their work. Oh, that's the invitation for all of us, my dear friends. That's the invitation to this life of faith. That's the invitation to this spiritual path. That we would live out of our true identity in every facet of our life. And that it may influence all of our days, including our work. Will you pray with me? Thank you, O God, for the gift of time, for the gift of work, and for the gift of this life. May may every moment of every day reflect in us your goodness and your mercy and your grace. For that is our prayer. Amen. Friends, having heard the word read and proclaimed, let us rise together in body and spirit and say what it is that we believe. Church, what is it that you trust in? We trust in God, the Holy Spirit, everywhere the giver and renewer of life. The Spirit justifies us by grace through faith, sets us free to accept ourselves, and to love God and neighbor, and binds us together with all believers in the one body of Christ, the Church. In a broken and fearful world, the Spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing, to witness among all peoples to Christ as Lord and Savior, to unmask idolatries in church and culture, to hear the voices of people long silenced, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. In gratitude to God, empowered by the Spirit, we strive to serve Christ in our daily tasks and to live holy and joyful lives, even as we watch for God's new heaven and new earth, praying, come, Lord Jesus. You may be seated.
Friends, at this point in the service, we turn our hearts towards prayer. So before we do so, I invite you to reference the back of your bulletin where you will see several names from our community that we lift up both in joy and celebration and also in grief. I also want to remind you to swing through these doors and sign our care letters, which you will find under the windows. Your signature may be a prayer of comfort, so I invite you to do those. Friends, let us pray. God, who sees us and knows us, you were there when we were born. You were there when we took our first steps and wrapped tiny hands around parent fingers. You were there when we went off to school with backpacks and lunchboxes eager to learn and grow. You were there when we thought we'd grow up to be professional baseball players or rock stars. And then again when we found new dreams of work, maybe being a teacher or a doctor, a parent or an author. You were there then, and you are here now. And there is not much in this world that we are confident in, but we are confident of that. So this morning, God, we come to you with our prayers. We come to you with our prayers and seek your wisdom, for the world says we must be successful, but you say we should be significant in the lives of those we love. And the world says it's all about what we do, but you say it's all about how we do what we do. And the world says it's all about money, but you say it's all about love. So for those of us who struggle to stop working and choose Sabbath, draw near. And for those of us who struggle to know where and how we are called to serve in this world, draw near. And for those who feel trapped in a position or field that depletes them of life, draw near. For those who are too afraid to chase their dreams, draw near. For those who find work to be three jobs at one time simply to put food on the table, draw near. For those who are unable to work for medical or emotional reasons, draw near. And for those of us who are still grappling with our identity, draw near. Draw near to all of us, God, and both our joy and our sorrow, in our work and our play, for we long to serve you. And so as you do, and until that day comes, we promise to continue asking ourselves, who are we and what are we doing here? And as you do, and until that day comes, we will continue to pray together in one voice, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
we have remembered and heard from the stories of scripture throughout our lives, we have the opportunity to share God's compassion with the world. Some of this work was done on a quartz and ports trip to the Texas-Mexico border led by Reverend Kathy Lee Cornell, the mission pastor here at PHPC, and a group from this congregation where they partnered with an organization, La Posada Providencia. Therefore, this month's Every Dollar Counts, that is your single dollar bills that are placed in the offering plate, will go to benefit that organization who provides shelter for immigrants and asylum seekers at the Rio Grande Valley. Anyone who arrives at their doors will receive compassion and food and shelter and Christ's welcome. Your money will help to offer care and to support this, this organization in their work in the world. So this morning, as we consider our work, what God has called us to do throughout our lives, I invite the ushers to come forward to collect our tithes and offerings.
Let us pray. Holy God, you invite us to think about who we are and how we want to live our lives. One way we answer that question is by practicing our faith with our hands. So this morning we have gathered and given what we have with us, dollar bills and coins representative of prayers for the city, hope for the church, and confidence in your leading. Be with us this day and every day, and these use these gifts for your kingdom. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, prior to this morning's service, elders and deacons accepted new members into the life of this family of faith, and so at this time I would invite them to come forward along with our member engagement coordinator, Allison Cochran, that we might introduce them to you and welcome them to Preston Hollow. Come join us all the way over here. We're alone. It's okay. We're not. Come on. <laughs> you got to make sure everybody can see this tie. Okay. Friends, I would like to introduce to you our newest members at Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church. As I call your name, if you would step forward so everybody can put a name and a face together, that would be great. Patricia Holden is actually our first person um, new member and she is going to be introduced at Worship at Five tonight. Next we have Richard and Janet Hoffman. Richard and Janet are retired military who have moved here to Dallas. Their adult son and daughter are here in Dallas, and um, we are so happy to have them. Will and Maria Hobby. Will and Maria have two boys, um, four and one. They have good friends that are here who have brought them in, and we are thrilled they are here to join us. Uh, Don Jantz and Ted Kellum. Tom and Ted are going to be married here in March. We are thrilled for them and so excited to have you here at Preston Hollow. Vanjie Kelly. Vanjie has been singing with the choir for 20 years. <laughs> and God has called her to join the membership and we are thrilled. Her husband is David and y'all were married here at Preston Hollow Presbyterian. Welcome Vanjie. Uh, Marsha Lansdowne is in absentia this morning. She was not able to stay for the service, but she is also joining. Uh, Robbie McClung will be introduced at Worship at Five. She and her daughter Caroline um, worship in that space. Paula and Todd Menace. Where? There they are. Paula and Todd. They have twins, a boy and a girl, seven years of age. <laughs> They're there. Um, Todd also has older children, a 17-year-old and a 19, 20-year-old. Uh, Chiquamica Oranugo and his parents, Juliana and George Oranugo, um, they were originally from Nigeria. They have family here. Um, Amika's sister and niece are here already as members, and we are thrilled to have you as part of the membership. Ramey Payne. Ramey, and go ahead and um, 
let's have Reed step forward too. Ramey, this is Ramey Payne and Reed Thompson. They are engaged to be married here um, next December. We're thrilled to have y'all. Bill Riley, where's Bill? Bill um, sang in the choir here in the 80s, was a, a member and sang in the choir for about 10 years. Your sister is a member here, Mickey White, and um, you are coming back to Preston Hall and we're thrilled to have you. Carr Shelton, a deep-seated Presbyterian, and your mother was here, um, and we are happy to have you here at Preston Holland. Harold Stout, Harold is joining. He is married to Sandy, who has been a member here, and now Harold is joining. Um, Sandra could not be here today. She's had knee surgery and is recovering still at home. Jenna Teague, Jenna is um, Ryan Dale's mother, Haley Dale's mother-in-law. They are members here at the church, and we are thrilled to have Jenna join us. And Tori Whitson. Tori is engaged to be married to Brian Jekyll. Brian grew up in the church, and um, they are engaged to be married. Okay. Friends, God has nurtured each one of these people throughout their lives and brought them to this particular moment in which they are joining us as a family of faith. We rejoice in the unique gifts that they bring to our family of faith, and we are better for you. As we seek to live out God's good news, part of the Presbyterian tradition is a sign and seal of God's covenant promises, and also as a prayer of blessing for those who join our community, we um, lay hands on these new members. And so um, I would invite you, if you are ordained as an elder or deacon in the Presbyterian Church, to come forward, that you might lay hands on these new members, and that we might offer a prayer of blessing for their lives as they begin with us as this family of faith. Friends, let us pray. Holy God, you are a God who calls. You always have been and you always will be. You called Adam and Eve in the garden and you called Moses at the burning bush. You called to Abraham to leave all that he knew and follow you and to Sarah to trust in your promises. God, you called Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Rahab and Ruth. You called the disciples. You called even to some to drop their nets and to follow you and to leave all they had known. And, oh God, you call each of us. Open our ears and open our hearts to hear your call and to use our unique gifts and service to you and to your kingdom. We are grateful for these new members, for the gifts that they bring to our church and to our community, and for their faithfulness in answering your call to discipleship. We ask, O oh God, that you would surround them with your spirit and give them each strength and courage and wisdom and grace as each of them has need. Help them to grow as disciples and to trust in your leading that they may both believe and act in your name. And help us, O oh God, your church, gathered here to today to welcome them into this community with open arms, knowing that we are richer for their presence, and trusting that we all belong to you, and therefore we belong to one another. Empower us, O oh God, 
to be the church in the world, to all of God's people said, Amen. Friends, following worship today, you're invited to greet our new members. I would invite everyone to go back to their seats as we stand and sing our closing hymn. Please stand. So you have 700,000 hours or thereabouts. How are you going to use them? Ah, better question. Who are you? What are you doing here? Friends, as we go forth from this hour of worship to be the church in the world, may God give us the grace never to sell ourselves short, grace to risk something big for something good, grace to recognize that the world is now too dangerous for anything but truth, far too small for anything but love. So may God take our minds and think through them. May God take our lips and speak through them. And may God take our hearts, each and every one of them, and set them on fire. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and guide us in our many, 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 many different ways this day and all of our days. May it be so. Amen.